Welcome to Garfield Memorial Church. We are one church in three locations, Pepper Pike, Ohio, South Euclid, Ohio, and Liberia, Africa. Together, we seek to widen the circle through our core values of diversity, safety, authenticity, growth, and forgiveness. To learn more about Garfield Memorial Church, visit our website at garfieldchurch.org. And now, may you be blessed and inspired by our weekly podcast of the message from the 10 a.m. Sunday morning Mosaic worship service. Garfield Memorial Church, widening the circle. searching for the answer, for the one who came for the prayers that we have not yet uttered before he stuttered his first cry. We were looking for him. So we set off on the promise, nothing more than the words carried by the wind, whispered by the Father, knowing that the farther the message carried, the larger the symphony of voices would carry the song of hope as we three kings set off to meet our Lord. The anticipation of creation beat in time and kept pace with our footsteps, our breath acting as the woodwinds, our heartstrings flowing with the bow of the Creator who aimed us in the way that we should go. I wonder, I wonder if that star knew what it was for. If at the dawn of creation, when it was hung in the corner and told that it's all right, its moment is coming, that your light will be historic in its promise and its purpose will not be underestimated by time, was it fine with waiting? Did it watch as man fell and rebuilt as they fought to find holiness only to fall short of glory? Did it see that its need for a savior was there before it was designated as its indicator? Did it know why it waited? Did it know why we traveled? Did it know that we followed it with all of the hope and faith that we had within us? That the light that was there signified that we were right to wait, right to hope, right to rejoice. The Father has sent an answer, a savior in the form of a child, a point in Garfield Memorial where its church could witness the birth of its cornerstone. We three kings have traveled. But we do not go alone. So, praise to the Father and praise to the One. Praise that the hour of our deliverance has finally come, for we have found our Lord. And He has stored our prayers in His hearts as His eyes gaze into a starry night that was made for Him with gifts that were brought so that way we could celebrate and honor a King born of a virgin and to live a life of blamelessness for us. I guess Abraham was right. The Father would provide the Lamb and His name his name is Jesus. Praise to the Father. Praise to the One. Praise that this hour of deliverance has finally come. Merry Christmas from me to you. 
Thank you, Garfield Memorial Church, for always being what love should be in view of a city that needs it. Rest ye well, our King has come. All right, that's Cleveland's own Egypt Speaks. Uh, she makes Garfield her home when she's here. She's in Nashville now. Um, her career is advancing. She's an amazing Christian artist. She thought we, she was coming home for Cleveland. We said, great, you can be in person. And then, you know, the apocalypse hit in Cleveland. She said, I think I'll stay in Nashville and send you all something. So uh, we're so glad for that. All of you who are worshiping online, I know there's a bunch of you, and we're, I'm glad you're making those choices. Uh, we're doing everything we can to be safe at this time and continue to praise God for technology, for those who are here in person and for all of you online. Uh, if we haven't met, I'm Chip Free, the lead teaching pastor. If you just stumbled into Garfield Memorial Church, whether here tonight in person or online, we don't believe it's an accident. We believe that uh, we were supposed to be together for this particular period of time. Um, one quick thing, we've got, um, we don't light lit candles in this particular facility. Uh, Bill Lacey, our finance chair, was the one that did the offering. He'd beat me up if we beat up these chairs and this carpet. But we do have a candle app. So at the end, when we go to uh, Silent Night, some of you have had that because we've used it for several years. If we don't, just go to Virtual Candle HD on your app store. Uh, I've got mine up here. It's real easy. It's free. Virtual Candle HD, and we can hold up that light together when Dre and Leah come back on stage uh, with their daughter Eden uh, to lead us in Silent Night. We've been in the teaching series all through December that we're going to go all the way up to January 2nd, and it's called Dia de los Tres Reyes, or Dia de los Tres Reyes Magos, the, the day of the three kings, the day of the three wise uh, kings, celebrated throughout much of the Hispanic and Latin world, and some of our Hispanic and Latin leaders here have kind of made us aware of this celebration, and uh, we, just, we just want to focus our teaching around these kings, these, uh, well, I'll, I'll clarify who they were in just a minute, but these kings who on Christmas Eve got it right, and we've looked for the last three weeks in worship of the other kings of this world who got it wrong. We talked about King Saul, the first king of Israel. Pastor Scott talked about uh, King David and King Solomon. And last week, I talked about the, the antagonist in Matthew's Christmas story, King Herod. How many of you ever seen King Herod in a nativity scene? Like, right? Ever gotten a Christmas card with King Herod on it? Um, the murder of the innocents as he murderously went after the Christ child in Bethlehem. But Matthew tells us that's part of the Christmas story. Matthew's telling is different than Luke. Luke is the one you're most familiar with on Christmas Eve with Mary and Joseph traveling down, a young 14-year-old pregnant woman and a, probably a 16-year-old young father-to-be uh, traveling down uh, the nine-day journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem, going to try to find a place with this Roman census that was taking place. And we know in our uh, traditional vernacular, no room at the inn, right? Uh, probably wasn't an inn, probably a guest house. And they were then had to go basically sleep in the parking garage, which would have been a cave. I know that's, that ruins us with the little European wooden stables, but it would have been a cave in that day and age where the animals were. And uh, Jesus was swaddled by his own mother. He was so alone. No mother ever swaddled their child. There was always a midwife for that. But these were two scared kids giving birth in a parking garage, um, and Jesus' first 
bed we know was an animal feed trough. That's the story we're most familiar with. The angels go out uh, to the field, to the shepherds. Uh, They say, don't be afraid, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And he will save his people. And they rejoice. And, they, and the heavens were filled with Dre and Leah saying, Hark the herald angels sing, Glory on God. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace and goodwill. That, that's a story we know. Matthew's story I talked about last week is darker. In fact, you know in Matthew's story, Joseph and Mary never say a word. The Holy Family never speaks. And in the few verses in chapter 1 before, this is his main story. Uh, Joseph hears in a dream to take Mary as his wife. He was going to divorce her uh, quietly. And the angel said, no, what, what Mary has is sacred. The Son of God is coming into the world, and you shall name him Jesus. Yeshua, which means Yahweh, God saves. And Joseph was obedient, but they never speak. Like Mary has almost all the lines in Luke's gospel. Like, she's uh, my fair lady. She is cast right in the center. She sings the Magnificat. My gosh, it takes up almost all of Luke chapter 1. In Matthew, she's seen but never heard. In this story tonight that we read for you, Joseph isn't even in it. He's never even mentioned. But if you look at that very first line of chapter 2 that Bill read for us, you, you get the whole story of what's going on for Matthew and Christmas. Here it is again. In the time of King Herod, now I won't go into my sermon from last week, but Herod was a narcissistic, paranoid megalomaniac. He was. Uh, He called himself Herod the Great. If you ever travel with me and my wife to Israel on one of our tours, the Palestinian Christian guides refer to him as Herod the Crazy. He was a nutcase. He uh, was totally preoccupied with himself. He had all of his wives killed. He had first three of his sons killed because he was worried they wanted a throne. So much so that Augustus Caesar said it was safer to be a pig in Herod's house than one of his own children. He's a nutcase. But, but in that time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. You have Matthew's whole cast of characters in his Christmas story. Herod the crazy, Jesus the prince of peace, the newborn king, and wise ones traveling to meet him. And here's the deal. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born, what Matthew is doing is he's saying there's two kingdoms that are at conflict here. Herod's kingdom is full of uh, lust for power. Herod's kingdom is full of violence. Herod's kingdom is full of self-promotion. But there's a new king on the block. There's a a kingdom of God that's being ushered into the world. And you're going to have to choose which kingdom that you're going to be a part of. You're going to have to choose one king because they don't coexist. And and this is Matthew saying Christmas comes as a disruption to the kingdoms of this world, the shaking of the foundations and the humbling of the so-called mighty. And Jesus' kingdom, well, Herod's is corruption and violence and self-promotion. If you read the rest of Matthew's gospel, he tells us what Jesus' kingdom is all about. In fact, you get to Matthew chapter 5 through 7, it's known as the Sermon on the Mount, the longest recorded sermon that Jesus gave. It's all the ethics of this new upside-down kingdom that, is, that makes the kingdoms of this world terrified. And it's full of healing. And it's full of restoration. It's not division. It's gathering up. It's unifying. And it's a whole new loving kind of power. And so we're, we're challenged to which king we will, we will serve. And so in this midst come these 
Wise men, as we refer to them in kind of the English, I'll talk more about them. They come from the East. They are foreigners. They're outsiders to the story. They're not Jewish. They're not Christians. Um, and they come in and they are the first to make this decision which kingdom they will follow. They go to Jerusalem to find out where the new king is born. Right? They, they were astrologers. They, they had looked in the sky. I won't go into that. January 2nd, we've got a guy coming in from Nashville, and he's got everything on every kind of uh, the signs and the stars and everything of wise man. I'm not going to preach that tonight and burden you with it. Come back out on January 2nd, and you'll get all that filled in. But there was a phenomena in the skies. Um, back in that day and age when Julius Caesar died, there was a supernova. And it shone for days and days and days. And so we kind of scoff at astrology. That's because we practice chronological arrogance. Those people are so dumb. We're so much smarter than they are. Wait a hundred years when they talk about us. Right? Um, but there was kind of cemented in people's eyes that when a new king was born or a king died of importance, there would be a sign in the heavens. And they followed that sign. 900 miles they would have traveled. A journey that took six weeks to get there, up the Euphrates River, down the King's Highway to Jerusalem. And, and they then on six-week return. So this was a three-month endeavor to come from far away to do what? First knock on Herod's door, because if you think there's a new king, you go to the, the place that says King of the Jews in Jerusalem. So maybe he's in the nursery. You know, Herod, you're the king of the Jews, the new king has come. The one that was prophesied about, not just by Judaism. Every rumor had spread throughout the world that a great king was coming. In fact, if you read Tacitus or Sueticus, they were pagan philosophers, hate Christianity. But they knew the rumor that a new king would be born. And these guys come, they go to Herod's door. Herod uh, is terrified. And he sets them off and says that... What, what do the scriptures say? They're, that the king would be born in Bethlehem. Even though Bethlehem, you're not the lowest. Like Bethlehem was not an urban center. There was no way to broadcast it, right? Like Jerusalem was the glitz and the glamour. But Jesus wasn't born there. Do you remember there's a new kingdom coming? And these wise leaders were not um, too proud to go to Bethlehem. And when they got there, they rejoiced. Did you hear it? Overcome with joy. And they lavish gifts upon this king, and they bow down and worship him. These were kings who got it right. Now, let me ruin everything you learned in Sunday school, okay? I hate to do this. Somebody's out there going to say, are you going to tell us there's no Santa Claus too? Ask your parents. I, that's not my sermon. Um, but I am going to revise a little bit what you know. First off, I know we say Dia de los Tres Reyes, and through the years we've called them the three kings. We three kings of Orion are, the hymn. We've even named them, Melchior, Gaspar, I think the other one's Balthazar. Um, this is all kind of... It's, 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 it's kind of embellishment through years of tradition. Um, the truth was they're not kings. None of them are kings. They were magi. The magi, that's the word that's used in the Greek. They were a particular group of people. Magi were, uh, they were astrologers. They were scientists. They would have been professors at Harvard, Princeton, or Yale, or Stanford. They were the intellectual elite right? They knew alchemy. They discovered chemistry. They weren't kings, but they were advisors to kings. 
In fact, if you go back to the book of Daniel, some people think Daniel was of the group of Magi as a Jewish Magi because he was an advisor to the kings of Babylon and Persia and an incredibly brilliant man, if you read the scriptures. And these are this group of people uh, coming in search. They had been studying the historical records of scriptures coming in search of the newborn king. And I, I hate to break it to you, they don't get there on Christmas Eve. Did you hear did you hear what Bill read? When they got there, Jesus wasn't in a manger anymore. He was in a house. They got there later. This was after the birth, uh, well after the birth. Some scholars debate exactly when. It could have been um, months. It uh, could have been even as long as six months. But there was a period of time. Uh, they didn't show up with the shepherds. And here's the thing. The Bible never says there were three of them. Am I ruining everything from your childhood? Am I just like, just a chip, you're killing me here. It doesn't. The tradition said there were three. Why? Because there were three gifts. Boy, you guys jumped the gun on me. Um, but Magi, I believe this is a, a photograph. It's one of my favorites uh, by James Tissot. It's called The Journey of the Magi. I think that's probably what the group looked like. I'm going to guess there were more like 50 or 60 of them. Not Magi. There may have been three Magi. There may have been 12. They usually traveled in caravans, but there were always guards. There were always servants. This is a great picture. I've been right there, Terry and I have, in, in Jerusalem. That's actually now a four-lane highway. <laughs> but it was, it was a travel route in that day and age. It's a wonderful picture, but imagine that is who showed up in search of the, of the newborn king. And what's even more interesting, I didn't realize, I don't know, all these years I've been preaching on this stuff for over three decades, and it was only this year that I thought, you know what, Matthew was being really scandalous. I mean, these Persians, who most likely were from Persia, the Magi had a religion. It wasn't Judaism. It wasn't Christianity. It was called Zoroastrianism. I don't have enough time to go PhD on you what that is. Trust me, it's very different. And do you know Matthew, who's a Jewish Christian, who's preaching mostly to Jews and Jewish Christians? Luke will preach to the Gentiles, as will Paul. Matthew, as a former Jew, is saying that the first worshipers of the Messiah weren't even Jewish. They weren't Christian. They weren't from here. They didn't even have our religion. They're foreign outsiders. But they were the first people to bow down and worship Christ. What, what's he saying to us? Matthew, he got to be doing this on purpose. In fact, I read two historians that are not believers, and they said this is one they can't argue must be true. Because no Christian writer would have said that the first worshipers of the king of kings would have been Persian magi. In fact, if you look at that word magi, it's where we get the word magic. Every other place it's referred to in the Old Testament and New Testament is negative. It's something to be cursed. But here they are. Worshippers, first worshipers of Christ. You know what Matthew's telling us? God has a bigger tent than we do. God has a bigger tent. So if we play partisan politics and we get in these little groups and we say, well, I'm hanging out with all the right people and I know who all the wrong people are, be careful because come, Christmas comes to destroy that. And Jesus comes to challenge it. God has a wide tent. The old preachers used to say, God's so wide you can't get around him. He's so high you can't get over him. He's so low you can't get under him. And God is not as constrained by little polarization issues as we are. God is multidimensional. We're one-dimensional. And so this is from the beginning. Matthew says that Jesus will be the Savior of all the people. So remember that. 
And, and Matthew's telling us that these wise men were wise, or they magi, we, we called them wise because the word was used for wisdom with the magi. But he's saying that they have a worldly wisdom, but there's a wisdom of the world that will, it, it's not, it's all good, but it's just not enough, right? These wise men had three characteristics I just want to hit you with here in the next 14 minutes and we'll be done. First, they had, the wise men got Christmas right because they looked up. They looked up. If they hadn't looked up, they would have never seen the star. I have a little sign on my desk. I've had it since I went into ministry. I actually had it before ministry when I was serving as a corporate CEO. And it just something, it was a little thing that I would always see on my desk just to remind me. And it simply says these words. If you don't look up, you will always think you're the highest point. That has served me well through my life. And, and, and these wise men weren't so proud. They weren't so consumed with everything around them that they forgot to look up. When I, Isaiah said in Isaiah chapter 60, he said, nations shall come to your light. That's what we're seeing. All these nations come to your light. Kings to the brightness of your dawn. Therefore, what? Lift up your eyes and look around. They all gather together. They come to you. Your son shall come from far away. That was the prophecy when Jesus came. All people would be reunified. Your daughters shall come. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and rejoice. That's what happened to these kings. They had the ability to look up. I read a, a story about a, a couple. I read this actually. It happened last uh, January, and it was after Christmas. It was late January when the story came out. And I, I slipped it away, and I said, i got to bring that out next year. Because it was a story about a, a young couple named Ryan and Morgan. They had uh, adopted a son from an orphanage in a foreign country. They wouldn't use their last names and wouldn't tell us which country because there was enormous political upheaval. And they didn't want to subject or name the family in the midst of maybe some hostile uh, governments. But they had passed all the legal processes, and uh, they even named their son Charlie. He was legally theirs. And they were to receive him, I think it was a week before Thanksgiving. Um, they were on their way to the airport, and they got a call from the agency that a political upheaval had happened in this country, and um, they shut everything down. They weren't letting any of the children leave. And so Ryan and, and Morgan decided, if our son can't get to us, we'll go to him. And so they got a plane ticket. Uh, right after Thanksgiving, they left their children with their parents and went to the orphanage where their new son was. And they were for, there for weeks and weeks. They were with corrupt courts. They were dealing with a lot of um, you know, corruption and political stuff and, and pleading with the courts. They could see their son every day. It got close to Christmas, and Morgan felt she needed to fly back to the States to be with their children. And Ryan made the painful decision not to leave his son. And he spent Christmas alone in this foreign country. In fact, that's what got my attention in January when it says Christmas in a foreign land. And Ryan spent Christmas alone, and he was, he was pretty beat up about, and he talked about being so depressed on Christmas Day. His wife was far away, his other children. He couldn't see his son that day. And then suddenly it dawned on him, I am in the middle of the message of Christmas. Because Jesus Christ didn't leave the United States to go to a foreign country. He left heaven to come to a fallen world. And he said, I, here I am a father trying to find and receive my son. And that's exactly the father that sent Jesus from heaven to come and find me. And he wrote, I had a whole new perspective. And he said, a peace came on me that I couldn't even understand. 
And three or four weeks later, his son was released, and they took him home. And that's when he was interviewed, and I heard the story. And he said, um, I learned what Christmas is all about. I learned that my wife, my kids, my new son are all gifts given to me of God. And he said, I have a new perspective and a grateful heart. What, what did Ryan do? He looked up. And he saw the star, and he saw the story, and he got the message of Christmas right. We get the message of Christmas right when we look up. We get the message of Christmas right when we give. Now, I know we're talking Christmas offering, and some of you are in here and going, okay, here comes the shakedown. We know how preachers are. I'm not talking about that. In fact, I don't care. Uh, God doesn't care about your money. He cares about you. But he does care what we do with our resources and what we do with the gifts that we have and what we do with the compassion that's been given to us and the forgiveness that's been given to us. And I love, I don't know, it's weird spending time with these, you know, magi this year for a whole month. I started seeing things I never saw before. I had preachers talk to me before, you know, I heard the sermons. Here, look at the wise men. They gave gifts, and that's why we give gifts at Christmas and all this. And I said, well, wait a minute. They didn't do a gift exchange. <laughs> like, we do that, right? I got all our stockings up at the house. Our kids are never too old. You know, we do those get for each other. and everything. Wise men didn't do that. They just gave. They just showed up and gave what they had. I read about um, a hair stylist who's an Uber driver um, down south, and uh, she picked up a young man named Kevin Esch at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. I think that's in Atlanta. For Georgia people, say amen. Am I right? Amen. Bill knows. Okay, good. One person. I, I actually preached at a church next to there. I should know better. But as they were chatting, she had picked up this young man, and they got, they got to talking. They got to know each other. And uh, he asked what she was doing, and she shared she had just had to leave college and, and try to make some more money because she had student debt, and she couldn't go back for that semester. And, um, you know, she said, every time I tried to pay the money, my kids needed something. You know, I'll just wait, but I want to get back there. Um, a few days later, later, Georgia State University called her and said that Kevin Ash, who had written in, her, written in her Uber, had just paid off her student debt. And she could come back to school at any time. And CNN found this story, and they got a hold of Kevin Ash. And watch, watch what he said. He said, there was something about LaTanya that resonated with me, and we developed an incredible friendship. Now, now that we know one another, I'm incredibly proud of what she's done. I could have, sure, I could have bought some new clothes, or I could have done something for myself. But what I chose to do was help someone out. And what has come back to me has come back a hundredfold. And I would do it a thousand times over. In December, he was in attendance as Tanya Young graduated from Georgia State University with a degree in criminal justice. She's now going to law school to become an attorney. You know, I read something from our own Cleveland Clinic. I don't have time to read it all to you now, but I'm on their mailing list. And they sent a, a letter out. They weren't asking for money, but they were talking in this season. They said that giving actually um, gives you physical and mental health. They discovered people that give had lower blood pressure. They came back from coronary issues, uh, or yeah, quicker. Um, they were less likely to be in depression. Um, in fact, above 55, they tended to leave, live five years longer than their friends. Um, God knew what he was doing. The, the message of Christmas is the king came to us. We didn't have to go to him because God so loved the world that he gave. And it's a, it's a giving, generous spirit. When we do that, we're fighting back 
about, you know, the ways of the world, the, you know, the, 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 the thrust for power and, and all and privilege and, and possessions that we can never get enough of. You know, I wonder when it's ever enough. Willie Nelson had a song way back when. I'm not a country western guy. I actually met him in Austin, Texas. He was friends with a pastor I knew. But he had a song that said enough is always a little bit more. <laughs> right? When we give, we fight back against that. So these guys found they got it right because they looked up because they gave. And finally, because when they got there, they bowed down and worshiped. Now, scholars have looked at this and they said, that's the most astounding thing that happens in the story. Like going, to, if you knew you were going to see a king, you would always take gifts. That was normal. Like a magi, that was, that was in the ancient world. But what was abnormal is they came and they gave the gifts, but then they bowed down and worshiped him. J.C. Riles was a, one of the first bishops of the Anglican church. And this is what he said about them. He said, they saw no miracles to convince him. They heard no wise words come out of his mouth. They saw nothing but a newborn infant on the lap of a poor young woman, but they worshiped. No greater faith than this can be found in the whole volume of the Bible. They bowed down and worshiped this one, knowing that he had a wisdom he had something, there was something happening in his child that was bigger than the ways of the world. These were the wise, uh, educated elite. They were the people that were the top of their fields. But they knew that the wisdom of this world can get you so far, but it can't get you home. I remember Becky Pippert was an author. She wrote a book um, that was in, in, entitled Hope for the Heart, Searching for Things That Matter. And for whatever reason, Becky audited a psychology class at Harvard. And she was in this People's Search for Meaning. And she was in this class, and the, and the professor gave a great case study. And in the case study, he was saying, here was this man, and he was very successful in his life. But psychologically, he just unwound everything because of his hatred for his mother. He had, his career sp spun out. His marriage went down the tubes. Him being a parent went south. All tied to psychiatrists work with him for years for his hatred toward his mother. Um, and he made the case, you know, and, and the students began to raise their hands. And they said, uh, well, you know, Professor, wow, I get that. So, so what do you do? Like, what's the treatment? He said, well, you try to get him to see it so it's not all this unconscious stuff coming up to him. And you make him more conscious. He won't have as many blind spots. And Be Becky Pipper was a Christian, and she was in the class. And she said, well, that's great. That's how you treat him. But how, how does he get healed? And, and he looked at her, and she goes, well, wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it go a long way for him if he could learn to forgive his mother? And the psychologist said, whoa, this is science class. If you're looking for forgiveness, you're in the wrong department. And, and you know, that's, there's nothing wrong with science. We're following science here at Garfield, making sure we're keeping people safe. Of course, science is wonderful. Martin Luther King Jr. said, science investigates, faith interprets. We, it, science will get us so far, but it won't get us home. Because you know daggone well that you can't live in your life without forgiveness. All of us know that. But so it helped. the wise men were wise because they knew the earth's wisdom, but they needed to know the wisdom of God. So when I thought about that, I got closed right now. Uh, 
Dre, Dre was making fun of me earlier. So how many times are you going to say today? I'm getting ready to close. You know, average times I do that's probably like three. One time, Christmas Eve. But I was thinking about these wise men, these wise sages that bowed down in worship and found a wisdom that was beyond theirs. And I found it a perfect uh, illustration by an MIT professor. She's a professor at MIT right now, named Rosalind Picard. And she wrote an article that shared how I met the author of All Knowledge. Ready? Two minutes. As early as grade school, she writes, when I was a straight-A student, I identified with being smart. And I believe smart people didn't need religion. As a result, I declared myself an atheist and dismissed myself from people who believe in God as uneducated. In high school, I babysat to earn money. One of my favorite families was a young couple. The husband was a doctor. The wife was a Ph.D. professor. They were really sharp. One night after paying me, they invited me to church. I was stunned. People this smart actually go to church? When Sunday morning came around, I told them I had a stomachache. Eventually, the couple tried a different tack. They said, going to church is not what matters most, Rosaline. What matters is what you believe. Have you ever read the Bible? She said she had not. He said, do me a favor. Read the book of Proverbs. She said, to my surprise, Proverbs is full of wisdom. I had to pause while reading and think, and then read through the entire Bible. I felt this strange sense of being spoken to. I began wondering whether there really might be a God. During my freshman year in college, I reconnected with a friend who was also a straight-A student, and he was a star on both the basketball court and the football field. I had never known anyone as smart and athletic as him. He then invited me to his church. One Sunday, while there with him, the pastor got my attention when he asked, Who actually is the Lord of your life? I was intrigued. I was the captain of my ship. But was it possible that God would actually be willing to lead me? I felt like I had much to gain and very little to lose. After praying, Jesus Christ, I would ask you to be Lord of my life. My world changed dramatically. It was as if a flat black and white existence suddenly turned full color and three-dimensional. I felt joy and freedom, but also a heightened sense of responsibility and challenge. Today, I'm a professor at the top university in my field, MIT. I work closely with people whose lives are filled with medical struggles. I don't have adequate answers to explain all their suffering, but I know there is a God of unfathomable greatness and love who freely enters into relationship with all of us who confess their sins and call upon his name. I once thought I was too smart to believe in God. Now I know I was an arrogant fool who snubbed the greatest mind in the cosmos. The author of all science, the author of all mathematics, the author of all art, and everything else there is to know. Today I walk with joy alongside the most amazing companion anyone could ask for, filled with the desire to keep learning and exploring. Rosalind Picard, wherever you are, you are a 21st century magi. And you found your place at the side of the one who is all wisdom, who's not one-dimensional, who's multidimensional. And if he comes into your life, He'll make you a multi-dimensional person, too. Let me close with a little prayer, a little statement I heard from a guy named Unknown. That guy Unknown writes, writes a lot of stuff. You ever notice that? I think I know who he or she is. But I was in a university church in college when I, the, that's the place through my college chaplain, 
I gave my life to Jesus Christ. And one Christmas, I read these words, and they simply say this, more light than we can learn, more wealth than we can treasure, more love than we can earn, more peace than we can measure, all because one child is born. Wise people, you ever heard that? Still seek him. Let's, uh, you're here seeking him now. You're here seeking him online. But the good news is, you know, you don't, we're not like other religions where the founder says, follow my teachings and you'll find God. Jesus Christ said, no, no, no. I am God. <laughs> Come to find you. That's Christmas. Let's, uh, let's pray together. God, thank you for this promise and help us to learn from these, these kings, these magi who got it right. They weren't too proud to go to Bethlehem. They weren't too proud to bow before a poor mother and a child knowing that you had done something dramatic in the world. Help us, Lord, look up. We need to look up. When Abraham and Lot split up, you you said to Abraham, who was all depressed, lift up your eyes and look not at the place you are. Help us to look up. Help us to be generous people to give of our time and talent and treasure and find an ethic that's in your kingdom, not of this world. And help us, Lord, to not be too proud to bow down and worship you and to know that you are the author of all knowledge. You are the author and finisher of our faith. You are the resurrection and the life, and we need you desperately. Lord Jesus, we thank you for Christmas, for coming into the world and becoming flesh. One old pastor used to pray, God, since you have become one of us, may we seek to become one with you. That's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.